We're doing our series on the book of Ephesians, and this is part 11, and we're at chapter 4 and looking at verses 7 through 10. Last week, I spoke on why be part of a church, picking up on church references right the way through, sprinkled through Ephesians. And today, I'm going to look at these verses here, right in the middle of Ephesians, and right in the transition between chapters 1 through 3, which are about God's amazing plans and promises, and then chapters 4 through 6, living this out in our lives. And you may be wondering why your handout says Colossians. Have I made a mistake? No, I haven't. You'll hear that, hear that in just a minute. So if we're going to live this, we need power and victory in order to live this out in our lives. And that is what today's verses are all about. And included in today's verses are, is a reference to victory over the powers of darkness. And I think you'll be really encouraged in your own victory as we study the verses. So my goal then is that each one of us will have victory over the voice of the enemy in our own lives and experience the joy that Jesus wants us to have. Does that sound good? You up for that? Okay. Um, so, powers of darkness in Ephesians. The verses we have right now in uh, verse chapter 4, I'm going to read them out. Now, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he gives a quote from Psalm 68. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and gave gifts to his people. And then he explains it. He ascended. What does it mean? But the, he had also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So we might be confused by verse 9, the lower parts of the earth. What does this mean? Jesus, uh, we know what it means he ascended, but d descended to the lower parts of the earth. Um, those who know the culture and have studied the culture of that time tell us that this was one of their terms for the demonic. It wasn't like physically lower. It was lower in terms of, of darkness. And Jesus went into the realm of darkness and destroyed the power of evil. So these verses, as I mentioned, are a commentary on Psalm 68. And I, at one point I thought I will, I'll actually spend a whole sermon on Psalm 68. But I've decided it would be better, there wouldn't be so much value in doing that. So I spent a lot of time studying it, but I'm just going to give you the 30-second the, the summary here. Psalm 68 begins, Yahweh defeats evil powers, takes residence among his people, and gives and receives gifts. And we have... Two halves, past victories, we've got a central section that Paul quotes, and then we've got future victory over evil. And really the theme of Psalm 68 is about power. It's about God stepping with power for his people, which is exactly what today's message is on. And Paul, some people have said, like, Paul's letter to Ephesians is inspired by these thoughts of, of God coming through and just on his, for his people, he defeats the powers of darkness. So Paul 
uh, hasn't quoted this psalm exactly. He switched the words giving and receiving. And uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the reasons for this and so on. And there's some very good reasons, but I'm not going to spend any time on it now. If you're interested, I can refer you to some really good resources on what Paul is doing here exactly. But we're going to stand back a bit and look at the demonic in Ephesians and see the big picture of this victory and this power. So a quick run through now. Chapter 1, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And here it is, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion. And those words there are technical words in the Greek that the original hearers used for demonic powers, different kinds of demons. So, right at the outset, Jesus is raised above these powers. He's high above them. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the system of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, another word for demons, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 4 and 5, 4.26, be angry and do not sin and give no opportunity to the devil. 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then, of course, chapter 6, we have the big story of the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So, I've said before that Ephesians and Colossians are like brother and sister letters. They are written the same kind of time to churches in the same region, and they cover the same sort of themes, which is really, really useful because they can be like commentaries on one another. And we can see the same ideas in one reflected in another, but used in different terms. And Colossians collects up a lot of these references that are dispersed through Ephesians, puts them into one place, and has a section on victory over the demonic, which is the same ideas as in Ephesians, but all put together in a very coherent way. And this is really useful, and so I am going to be preaching from this passage, which is a commentary on the demonic in Ephesians. And uh, so let's. Uh, so, so what, what I'm going to do today is... I've given you the introduction. I'm going to look at the argument of Colossians chapter 2, 8 through 23. Uh, what is the basis of this false judgment and who are the accusers and how are we to answer them? And if you're listening online or you just have the audio, I really strongly recommend you download the, uh, the, um, the printout of Colossians from the website, because you need to see this visually, because it's a very, very visual passage. So let's look now, and I'm going to just fill the screen with this. Let's look now at this passage in Colossians. 
I don't know if you can read that. Maybe I'll make that slightly bigger there. All right. Now, I've color-coded this to seek to pick out the themes, and I've used a theme there um, for a, a dark blue for united with, a, a, light, a, a purple for Jesus the head, blue for demons, red for death and resurrection, and then green for human rules. <clears throat> so let's start. Beware lest anyone carry you off a spoil through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the elemental spirits of the world, another term for demons, and not according to Christ. For in him, that's in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form, and you have been made full in him, who is head over all power and authority. And what you're going to see in this passage, there's a beautiful symmetry in the whole way that this passage is put together. And this is, that was like the preamble. Now we come to the central section, verses 11 through 14. And this is about being joined to Jesus. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in stripping off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Buried together with him in baptism. So that circumcision it says a circumcision made without hands. It's essentially uh, not physical circumcision, but the image of the old being removed and having the new in Christ. Um, verse 12. Buried together with him in baptism, in whom you were also raised together with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him. You get the idea? The key thing is being united with Jesus in this victory. And then it comes, then the, the, the climax is in verse, the end of verse 13 and 14. Forgiving us all trespasses, wiping out the record of debt against us with its decrees, that which was hostile to us, even this he has removed out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So the idea here, the image here, is we united with Jesus. Jesus pays the price, so the price is paid for us because of this union with Jesus. Because he is raised above these forces, we are raised above. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. Now, we're going to go back to a matching verse. This is a beautiful symmetry in this, one that matches 9 and 10. Matching in, in verse 10, it talks about you've been made full in him and he's head of all power and authority, which are these names for these demons. Now it says, verse 15, having stripped powers and authorities, these demonic forces, he made a public display of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross, in his death. He triumphed over these demonic forces because basically he stripped them of their power. They can no longer bring accusations against you because those accusations have been dealt with in Christ. And you've got to get this. This is the key to everything I'm saying today. Jesus' death has stripped the authority of your accusers. They can no longer accuse you. And this is exactly what Paul says. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. The reality, the body literally, is in Christ. Let no one disqualify you, disqualify you 
insisting on self-abasement, uh, worshipping of angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, puffed out without reason by his fleshy mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that's from God. And here it comes to a climax. If you died together with Christ from elemental spirits of the world, why, as if living in the world, do you submit to regulations? Handle not, taste not, touch not. Now, I ought to give a little background here. There were various cults operating in Colossae at this time and Ephesus that taught um, the way you get rid of guilt is by extreme self-punishment, li li um, limiting what you're allowed to eat much more than the Old Testament law had, like cutting it right down. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. All physical restrictions, really extreme ones. We've got documentation on this. And these, these basically said, and you do this and you're paying the price of your, your sin, your guilt, your evil. And so all of these regulations that would give you to try and get rid of the guilt, and, um, and he says, why do you submit to these, which all concern things destined to be perished with use, according to the commandments and teachings of men, these things have an appearance of wisdom, self-imposed religion, self-abasement -abas and unsparing treatment of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So just being harsh to your own body as a way of punishing yourself to, to silence the accusations of these forces that are coming up, these, these words that are coming up from the demons. So that, then, is the argument of this chapter. And I'm going to go back to, um, to talking about it now. Um, uh, the argument, then, is the first part, it starts, don't be defeated... Christ's full deity over the powers and authorities, union with Christ in his death and resurrection, Christ's full victory over powers and authorities. So that's the core. And then he comes back, don't be defeated. There are three specific things coming out of Christ's victory. Therefore, let no one judge you. Let no one disqualify you. Why do you submit to these regulations, which are human regulations? So the three encouragements that follow are victory in the light of removal from our guilt. And Paul's fundamental argument is this, because Christ has already taken care of our guilt, do not allow yourself to be judged. Does that, does that make sense to you as an argument again in the passage that, if, that, that any accusations against you have been nailed to the cross? No one can bring anything against you. But we're going to see that these powers of darkness love to accuse you. They're the voices inside that are saying, you're garbage, you're rubbish. Why did you mess up on that? How could you have been so stupid? And these are these voices that are talking to us all the time, trying to knock us down. And the answer, which I'm going to come to, it's nailed to the cross. It's not, it, I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm, I have victory in this. So... Uh, the argument then of Colossians 2, and we're going to look at the basis of this false judgment and who these accusers are and how we can answer them. So what's the basis of this false judgment? And I'm going to really try and understand how we can work with this passage in Colossians. So 
the first judgments, what I've called A, verses 16 and 70, that are the Mosaic covenant, um, you know, arguments about keeping the food law. And then he broadened, broadened it right out. Humility, which Paul always uses in a positive sense, but here it's like a false humility, an extreme humility. And then we have a general list of regulations, food laws unrelated to the Old Testament. These are extra food laws. And we know we've got, we've confined ancient writings from this time of all these extra things they'd added on to the laws to, to punish yourself. You can't eat this because you're not good enough to. And then ends with unsparing treatment of the body. And uh, so let's try and look at these in a little bit more detail. Verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, so these special festivals, which are a shadow of things to come, but the reality, literally the body, is of Christ. So these are, these are people who are linked to like a Pharisaic religion as well as paganism. It was kind of a strange mixture of paganism and bits of Judaism. But they want to return to Old Testament law plus. And these are a shadow, Paul says. And then we move on to 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you from the prize, insisting on self-abasement, worship of angels, taking stand on visions you've seen, puffed up without any reason by his fleshy mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. And then I'm going to just read the last, um, the last verses there. If you died together with Christ from the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if living in this world, do you submit to regulations, handle not, taste not, touch not, these extra regulations that were given? To them, um, in which all concern things destined to perish with use, according to the commandments and teachings of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, self-abasement, and unsparing treatment of the body, but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So, um, this sounds like self-punishment. This sounds like self-punishment, and a modern equivalent to it might be cutting yourself or self-harming in some other way, which sadly is getting more and more common in our society. But a sort, what he says here, unsparing treatment of the body, is hurting yourself because you think you're bad. And somehow hurting yourself, cutting yourself, doing something to yourself, maybe starving yourself, uh, that that somehow brings relief from these things, and those what Paul is describing is the 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 what the voices said in those days. There are the same voices, and in our society there are similar but not exactly the same things. But we, I want to argue that we are seeing a pandemic of self-harming behaviour and self-attack behaviour. Um, in our society, and it's actually what Satan loves to do. He loves to do this. So what is the answer to this? How do we answer this? And I want to say, I've looked at the argument, I've looked at the basis of the false judgment, 
And I want to say, who are these accusers and how do we answer them? And these verses, which I quoted to you, uh, speak of angelic beings. You've been made full in, in him. These are, I mean, these are evil angels. Full in him, who's head of all power and authority. Verse 15, having stripped powers and authorities. Um, there's a scholar called Clinton Arnold who's very highly respected in devoting his life to researching the local religious backgrounds in Ephesus and Colossae. And this is what he says. Um, powers of darkness, principalities and powers in Paul's letters. Finally, the word ruler, archon in Greek, was also part of the early, church, early Christian vocabulary for the satanic the prince of this world is one of John's most common expressions for the devil. Nowhere in the New Testament is Christ's victory over the power of darkness given fuller expression than in Colossians 2.15. The fact that by dying for our sins, Jesus has stripped them strongly suggests that it's their power to accuse that's been taken away. Um, so rather than being judges, um, so actually, now let me come. Let me come to one more verse I want to read. Revelation twelve. The accuser of our brothers, and he's talking about the devil, Satan. The accuser of our brothers, who's been thrown down, accuses them day and night before God. Satan is, but Satan can only be in one place at one time, but he is not alone. He has many others with him. And uh, he is, um, the lies of the father of lies can become embedded in our thinking. Now, let me say what I mean by this. I'm not saying every time you have a, bad, a thought that condemns you, you know, I'm useless, I'm a mess, that that is a demon in you saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that 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 Satan has embedded that idea in you. And that is there embedded in you, then it comes out at these times of self-attack. Now, sometimes there are actually demonic forces speaking to us, but very often it's not actually the force. Because I don't want you to think that you've got a demon all the time. And every time you get a negative self-voice self inside, that, oh, that must be a demon. No, these can be embedded, these are lies that are embedded in you by the father of lies. And they're there, you need to root them out, just the same, but don't panic that somehow you've got an infestation. So when you have these inner negative thoughts, it does not mean you actually have a demon at that point in time. So what am I talking about here? Well, most of us have got inner voices, they're saying things like, you're a failure. You don't measure up to what you could be. Anyone here struggle with perfectionism? Yeah, anyone? So probably a lot more people than are putting their hands up. You know, often when, I am, when I'm um, preparing a sermon, God does something in my life to like, preach that sermon to me. And I have something that comes up and I think, oh, you know, God's giving me an illustration. And as I was doing this, I was thinking, have I got these notes right? Have I got the slides right? Andrew, you're being a perfectionist. <laughs> so I actually need to preach the sermon to myself as I'm preparing it. So, you know, because if you're perfect, you're not going to have this accusing voice that you messed up. 
Look at that mistake you made. What a loser you are. You could do a lot better if you worked harder. You're a mess. And fill in the blank. So all of us have these voices. If you don't, then I want to suggest you're perfect. And so you're not human. So we all have these that are, that are and this is the, and we need to identify, this is the voice of the accuser. Now, the voice of conscience is different because the voice of conscience says, you, need, you did wrong there. That was wrong. That was sinful. You need to repent from it and ask God for forgiveness. And, and then trust that. The voice of conscience always leads us to God for forgiveness, if we're a Christian. The voice, this voice is not constructive. This voice is destructive. These voices want to knock us down and want to destroy us. Um, uh, you may have heard of, of Martin Luther, who was um, a, a, a Catholic monk and who, who constantly struggled with these inner voices. And um, before he came to faith, he would do all sorts of things to his body to try and, and, and punish himself. So, for example, he went out on the mountains and got snow, covered his bed with snow and lay naked all night on this snow to try and like, punish his, his body. And uh, it was, he was struggling with this. And here's a quote for, about him. He says, I was a good monk. And I kept the rule of my order so strictly that, if my se- that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other hard work. Satan was using his feelings of guilt to try and get him to kill himself. Now, I've talked about self-punishment, but there are other common ways of trying to deal with these inner voices um, uh, and to, to numb them out. So how do people numb out these voices? Can you give me any suggestions? Alcohol, drugs, what else? Codependent relationships. What else? Binge eating. Um, binge anything else? Binge shopping. Overwalking, did you say? Over- overworking, yep, yep. Binge watching Netflix. You know, it kind of numbs things. If you can do something to numb it out, uh, binge social media, you know, just to do anything to get these, so these thoughts can't come up. And um, um, I would say that, that my conclusion here is that we must be constantly pointing people uh, to Christ's victory on the cross, not just over our explicit sin, not just over times we failed, but times that there are accusations against us. We must be constantly doing this. And if, we had, if I had the time, I would look at the verses in Romans where it says, there is therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because it's telling the same story as here. Um, if you've truly done something wrong, then simply bring it to Jesus and uh, he will forgive you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then bring your sin to him, bring all your wrongdoing to him and saying, Say, I give this to you, Jesus. Please forgive me. 
Please take away my sin, and you can become part of this story here in, the, in your handout in Colossians. Forgiven, cleansed, raised with Christ, joined to him. Ask him, and he will do that for you. So I want to challenge you now. I want to leave you with a challenge. Will you take to heart this command not to live in self-condemnation? Will you do that? Instead, point to your accusing thought to Jesus on the cross. He has lifted off all my failures. Just imagine him on the cross when the, the thoughts come. He's then nailed to the cross. That's a lovely image, isn't it? Our failures are nailed to the cross. Like they're nailed. The Romans used to make a list of all the wrong things somebody had done for the reasons why they were on the cross. And they would nail that to the cross. And the idea here is that your failures are nailed to the cross. Everything you've done wrong is nailed to the cross, even if it's not sin, even if it's just your own weakness. And so I'm going to give you my last slide here, my conclusions. All your shortcomings were nailed to the cross. Consider all your imperfections as belonging to the old part of you that died with Christ on the cross. The old part of you which died with Christ. And here, get this. The new essential you has no imperfections. What do you think about that? Can you take that in? The new part of you, the new creation part of you, that's essentially you, has no imperfections. Can you take, this is what it's saying. The imperfections all belong to the old part, the flesh. Those were nailed to the cross. Point the accusers to the cross and shut them up. That is my, my mandate, my challenge to you this coming week. Whenever you get these voices coming up, and if you're human, you get them coming up all the time, point them to the cross saying, Jesus is raised high above that, and I have been raised with him. Go away. And they have no power because you have victory. The victory has already been won, and you are joined to Jesus in that victory. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for your victory. Lord, we praise you that we live because you live, that we are lifted above all these powers because you have been lifted above. Help us, Lord, to live out the reality of this, Lord, not to live as if we are still condemned. Help us, Lord, in this coming week to live out the victory that we have in you. Lift us up, we pray. Join us, Lord. May we know we're joined to you now. We ask his Father that you'll do this in Jesus' name. Amen.